everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. One of the important things with meshing the retail business and the online business is the just a general omni-channel approach. Our CEO likes to say that the e-commerce site is our biggest retail store. They say that a goldfish grows to the size of its tank. But what if that small fish is ready to launch into a bigger pond? That is the situation that Seabags has found itself in recently. With a rabid following and millions in revenue, the Portland, Maine-based retail store has outgrown its initial e-commerce setup and is ready to grow into a major totes and accessories brand, thanks to growth fueled by personalization, storytelling, and an incredible social media presence. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, Laura Natow, the Vice President of Marketing and E-Commerce at Seabags, explains how she is helping to expand the e-commerce platform using a cross-platform social media strategy. And she digs into the re-platforming experience she is leading to help Seabags utilize tools like AI and ML to grow its business both online and as it expands to brick and mortar locations. Enjoy this episode. Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Laura, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited about you joining today. I just was browsing through your website, Seabags, and I wanted to buy about five things. So that's flattering. I know. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome product. I'd love to hear a little bit about what Seabags is in your own words and uh, why you joined it. Yeah, so Seabags is a company based in Portland, Maine, that manufactures bags, totes, and accessories from sales that uh, recycled sales from sailboats. And we, we gather those sales one at a time from the boating community all around the country and um, bring them back to Portland where we cut them down one by one. Each sale is a little bit different so that therefore each bag is a little bit different from the next. And um, people come to visit us in Portland where they can actually see the bags being made on the waterfront um, at our building that actually overhangs the water uh, with the hum of lobster boats outside and the hum of the sawing machines and the seagulls. So it's it's really a great experience and uh, quintessential Maine. Very cool. Yeah. And so, you know, the reason why I joined Seabags, it was about um, almost, almost seven years ago at this point, was the you know the opportunity was presented to me by the current CEO and um, it was the story effectively you know the whole story about the brand it was so compelling um, when you have I've worked for a number of brand manufacturers before uh, LL Bean and Cuddle Down and you know they all had great manufacturing stories to tell but this story was so much more authentic and rich. Um, and that it was that authenticity that made the story so easy to tell. And they also uh, had built the brand up on these three core tenants uh, that drive the business every day. And it was this very defined mission behind the company of being made in the USA, sustainable in product and practice, and also committed to giving back to the community generously. And so those three things guide all of our decision-making and everything that we do. And with such a clear uh, mission and uh, mandate in terms of how we were going to grow the business forward, uh, to me, it seemed like a no-brainer to join that team. Yeah, that's very cool. And what is the story behind Seabags? I think it started with the um, co-founders or the founder's dad, right? That was like how it was inspired? 
Yeah, yeah. Many years ago, uh, the original founder, Hannah, um, her dad was uh, a, he was in the uh, sale bag making industry for, you know, the actual bags that hold sales in between seasons. And uh, he made a recommendation to his daughter to, you should try to figure out what to do with these old sales that are just going to landfills. And so it was, uh, she crafted the first ones and it's our current COO, Beth, who actually grew the business from there. She partnered with her and then grew the business uh, to, to where we're at now with the help of our our current leadership and CEO. CEO. So yeah, it, it was a, you know, started as a hobby business and now has, has, you know, really grown to be a lifestyle brand. And the one thing I really liked, which I didn't know before was I didn't realize that sailboat sales actually can't break down. And so when you guys say you're focused on sustainability... You really mean it. Like nothing would happen with those sales if you didn't transform them and give them a second life. Is that correct? You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, predominantly sailboat sales are made out of a material called Dacron and Dacron has uh, an element of plastic fiber in it. Um, It's that resilience that lets the sail hold up to the strength of the wind and actually propel a sailboat forward. But it is that strength. Um, in the fiber and how it's made that makes our bags so durable as well. And so because of that inability to break down in a landfill, you know, we knew that that material itself would be perfect for a bag. Um, and they are, they wear like steel and people have brought into our uh, store to show off, you know, oh, here's my bag. I bought it 15 years ago. And, you know, wow. they wash it regularly in the washer machine and, you know, they, they look great. So yeah, they do wear really well. That's so cool. So how do you convey that uniqueness to, you know, your customers, especially through an online experience? I mean, I saw some really great videos that you all had on your website, which I thought were amazing. Is that part of the way that you convey that? Yeah, absolutely. So storytelling, you know, is I think one of the things that we do best. Like I said, that's why I joined the brand is this this rich story. And we do a lot of content creation on our team. Um, it's easy to do content creation when you have a lot to work with. And so building uh, really great video content. We have, you know, a new line of products all the time. We have new partners that we're collaborating with regularly. Um, And so being able to stitch together different videos, um, content pages on the website, we integrate a lot of user-generated content into the website and our marketing a lot, you know, so things like uh, customer testimonials, but also customer images. Um, We have a very rich, uh, user-generated content campaign called our Seabag Sighting campaign. It's a hashtag. Mm-hmm. And customers in that campaign will you know, tag us and show us all the places they take their sea bag. So it's really um, a great opportunity for us because when we see a great picture, instead of us having to go out and stage a photo shoot, we've got a really authentic image of somebody vacationing using their bag uh, you know, in the environment that it was intended for. So. Yeah, I was very impressed when I saw your social media following and how engaged people were and the really great photos they were tagging you all in because I definitely see, you know, the world of online sales seems to be moving to social media and building a community. And how do you think about building that up and creating relevant content and keeping those followers engaged? Yeah, that is a really... I'd say it's one of the things we're really good at, but it's also probably one of the things that's most challenging in what we do um, because, you know, people's, people spend a lot of time on social media, but everybody's competing for um, competing for their attention. So I think, you know, one of the things we do, I have a social media team uh, with uh, multiple partners on it that I've tasked them with, you know, making sure that across all the platforms that, Number one, we're we're showing different content um, to keep different types of people engaged. And the other thing is that um, we're hitting the breadth of content that I'd like us to do. So they have a filter that they put all of our content through to make sure that we're showing the right variety of and frequency of things like behind the scenes images, testimonials, uh, new product launches, you know, PR news that we're doing. So um, we're trying to make sure that we hit the breath. Um, and also we're tailoring it to the specific types of platforms. I mean, obviously Facebook and LinkedIn are, are not a synonymous platform. So we make sure that some of the content goes on 
you know, one location and we speak to those audiences a little bit differently. But a lot of things that we do, I think that customers want to be invited to participate. And we do a lot of that with either uh, surprise and delight opportunities where we ask people to, to comment in on something for a chance to win, you know, a wristlet. And, you know, a wristlet's a, you know, a small item. It's, it's not like a vacation getaway. But, um, yeah. but that alone, like people love the gesture. They love to participate. And it's really interesting when somebody does win a prize. It's funny how authentically and genuinely thrilled for the winner the other mm -hmm. customers are so it oh. be, does become very communal they're like oh my god i'm so happy for you great job you're gonna love it um and then we also find that customers you know again back to this idea of engagement and this is delightful for us but um customers sometimes answer on our behalf like we'll get comments that say well do you, you know do you have this bag in this color are you ever going to offer this again and we'll, before we can even comment, we'll have other customers saying, yes, they have it. You can go to this page. So wow. it's almost like we've got these brand ambassadors stalking us, you know, right within our social media. And that is so flattering. And, you know, it really does speak to, um, you know, a highly engaged social media following. Yeah, that's amazing. Having people who are working for you and your brand without even asking yeah, is definitely yeah, the key great. strategy if you can figure it, it out. It is. It's great. Are there any new, um, emerging digital channels that you all are excited about or focused on right now? Well, I, you know, I think in terms of new channels, uh, I, I don't think there is one. I mean, social media really is where we're spending a lot of our time as a channel uh, in terms of trying to grow audience and engagement. Um, we are playing around with some things like influencer marketing, which, um, you know, is important. I think some people might not call it new and emerging either. But we're doing quite a bit in just dabbling in lots of different spaces. And there is a lot of overlap. I think video is probably where we found the most success in terms of um, developing content and distributing uh, video uh, specifically for Facebook um, has been fantastic for us. We're repurposing a lot of that video content. Again, we like to recycle. Uh, we, we put it in a lot of places. We're trying to incorporate it into the site. And um, we use it for things like Instagram stories. And uh, it's, it's been really fruitful. So that's been really fun. Very cool. Any key strategies that you have when it comes to guiding a customer through that buying journey while utilizing social? It's interesting. Uh, we have a really defined um, and fine-tuned digital marketing strategy. We work with a great partner that helps us distribute all of our paid advertising, and that would include paid social. And um, one of the things about paid social that I think is challenging uh, for people is I, I do chat with folks who say, oh, you know, Facebook doesn't really work for us. And I am always surprised to hear that. I think part of it is um, it, it's the type of content that you're putting out in terms of advertising on Facebook advertising, um, making sure you have the right mix of video and static ads and then dynamic remarketing ads are really important. Um, and I think the other thing too is that the how you measure it. Um, of course, there's different attribution models, last click attribution and first click attribution. And of course, Facebook measures the performance differently than um, some other folks might measure it. So um, we base it on Facebook's me measurement. And when you base it that way, you'll see that the programs themselves uh, actually perform much better than if you base it on um, the other attribution models uh, out there using Google Analytics. Yeah, that's really interesting. I definitely see Facebook stepping their game up with uh, the launch of, I think it's Facebook shops just yesterday, the day before. And yeah, no, I know. It's so, it's so interesting. I mean, the landscape is changing quite a bit. And, um, you know, I was actually talking about this recently with the CEO because, you know, we see organic shifting quite a bit and we're doing a lot in terms of um, SEO on the website and building organic content. We have a blog that we uh, try to regularly publish and, um, it's made a big impact on our SEO, but then all of a sudden when you have uh, the search results pages changing to favor, again, more ad space, you do see immediately a, a fall off in your organic search results and, you know, a paid search all of a sudden is doing much better, but you're also spending a lot more money perhaps than you had intended to. Yeah. Are you guys doing any quick pivots to try and 
yeah, bring back the organic searches? Or how do you think about that when things change so quickly? Yeah, I don't think there is a quick pivot with organic. You know, organic mm-hmm. is a long game as always. Um, the pivot that we're doing right now, if, if you know, and I wouldn't even call it that, it's just that we're, we are looking at our digital strategy on a daily basis and really refining things. So if we see something taking off, we are chasing it. Um, mm-hmm. And a great example is, you know, shopping at one point was doing very poorly. And um, we didn't know why and uh, watched it for about a week or two. And it was, you know, right when things were kind of heading down uh, to a flatline period at the end of March, everybody Mm -hmm. was, you know, in kind of a lull. And then all of a sudden things turned around and a lot of e-commerce folks were seeing a spike. And so as soon as we saw that spike, we we chased it. And I think that's the thing is you really have to be on top of it and know when to chase it and keep increasing your budget. So we've increased our budgets in, in areas like shopping more than we've typically been comfortable. Um, and I would say the same goes for uh, Facebook prospecting. We found that Facebook prospecting is performing incredibly well for us. And uh, we do a lot of prospecting with video ads for Facebook as well. And those are very productive too. Very cool. Did you have to adjust any messaging when it came to you know acting fast on that with everything going on? With the pandemic, did you kind of change how you, you know, target people and uh, market to them? Or how do you think about that? We changed um, the messaging. Yeah, we definitely wanted to make sure we weren't being tone deaf to what was going on. Uh, Mm -hmm. We definitely pulled down any ads that had anything to do with travel related products. So, you know, we have a great travel collection pulled down all of those because nobody was going to be traveling. Um, But I think the thing that we did um, more so than the actual ad strategy was our product strategy changed a little bit. And we wanted to look at our product from the viewpoint of how we could add more value to it to help solve problems for people who were now stuck at home and still had life to conduct. So uh, the example I'll give is, you know, Easter came around and people were kind of caught off guard by like the idea that, oh, our Easter family celebration is not going to happen. The Easter egg hunt's not going to happen. And I have a grandchild. And how are we going to commemorate this, you know, holiday that is is very important to a good portion of the population? And so we, uh, you know, quickly partnered with a local chocolate company that um, had just laid off most of its workforce. And they were able to bring back um, five of their employees to help uh, produce chocolate to put in our Easter buckets. And within a very short period of time, when we we thought, oh, we might sell 50 of these over the next three or four days, we sold over 700. Wow. And it was one of those things that every day we said, how many more do we need? And it was really a matter of how many, how much chocolate could the chocolate maker make in that short period of time? And, you know, so, you know, it was a, it was a real success story in being able to reach out, help a fellow business in the community, but also solve some problems for customers. And the the comments we got from customers were unbelievable, just saying how appreciative they were because, you know, they weren't going to be able to see their family and bring them something. And this is how they were able to do that. And, um, So that was really rewarding. And that afforded us a lot of opportunity in our digital advertising to reach new customers, to convert customers who were prospects and who were already looking into the brand. And um, so it was more about just being relevant um, with a message that solved a problem for customers. And so then we took that same product strategy and same digital strategy and expanded it onto Mother's Day and Father's Day and graduation. And so, um, you know, even though a lot of the stay-at-home orders have been loosened a bit, uh, I think that, you know, a lot of people are still looking for some convenience um, to eliminate any unnecessary visits to stores that they don't Mm -hmm. want to make. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. That's such a good strategy to find Uh, partnerships like that. And I could see that lasting into the future where a lot of brands start thinking about who they can partner with, because that seems like it would help future-proof both brands if they figure out ways to work together and send business to each other. And I think we'll be seeing more of that over the coming years. Yeah, I hope so. I, you know, I know for our brand, we're not going to uh, stop doing it because, you know, it was a pilot that was a success. And now we've realized there, you know, there's an opportunity here and customers um, see the value in it. You know, we've always been very collaborative as a brand. We um, typically do reach out 
and collaborate with you know a handful of companies that are like-minded in in their business practices and approach. Um, and what we often bring to the table is you know that we're sustainable product and they might not have that same uh, messaging in their product that they can offer or, you know, the fact that we're a made in the USA product, which again is really valuable to a lot of brands to partner with us. So we have similar mindsets and uh, very much focused on, you know, out the coastal lifestyles perhaps, or just um, a more recent and relevant example is uh, we're partnering right now with Life is Good which um, if you're not familiar with that brand, they are a um, apparel and accessory um, company that basically delivers the uh, message of optimism in all of their designs and really quirky designs that we are now able to um, just add to a sea bag. And then, you know, with these really important optimistic messages during this you know, time that we're all going through, uh, it resonates really broadly with customers. So that's, you know, another example of ways that we reach out and collaborate. And so it's a given um, life is good an opportunity to, you know, have a bag story that they can sell to their audience and gives us a different story in terms of different designs and messaging for our audience as well. Yeah, that, that's great. When it comes to messaging, does the consumer know the background of the flag of like where it came from and the journeys that sailboat went on? Or do they have any insights into that so they can kind of feel connected to their bag even more? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting. We would love to be able to pedigree every bag. But when <laughs> you start talking about 700 tons of sales that we've you know oh, wow. saved from landfills, um, it's it's really, really challenging to figure out how we could actually catalog that many sales. Um, yeah. So on a one-to-one basis, no. But what we do is when we uh, take a sale in, uh, our customers are, are so great about wanting to share the stories. Um, so we've had many cases where, you know, a sale trade is that's what we call it. The customer will bring a sale into our store, for example, and um, just show up and unfurl the sale right in the middle of the retail store and start talking about, oh, you know, well, this was the sale that was on, you know, my grandfather's boat. And, you know, as a kid, we sailed it. And they just go into this long, elaborate story. And what we try to do is get somebody from the marketing team downstairs to, you know, take notes and talk to them about it and um, basically, you know, interview them a little bit about what the story behind the sale is, because that stuff is so meaningful. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have a really great one on our website called the Santana Sale Trade Story. And, um, you know, the gentleman, uh, Ben, tells the story about how, you know, this boat meant everything to him. You know, he had this boat since he was 15. And at this point, I think he was in uh, maybe his early or late 40s, maybe early 50s. And, um, you know, still still has the boat, but was retiring the sails and talked about, you know, all the different moments that that boat was present for in his life and how, you know, every smudge and stain on that sail means something. And he hoped that everybody who buys a bag really understands how meaningful the heart of the sales are. That's great. I mean, feeling like you're connected to a community like that and another person without even knowing to them, I think is super important. And what people are going to want after all this. I mean, now we're all getting in this state where we want to, you know, we're connecting with people that we don't even know online and we're getting used to that now. So I think moving in that direction is yeah, really smart and also just fun knowing that you have something that has experienced things yeah. that you could never even think of. Yeah, yeah. We like to say that carrying a sea bag is like carrying a story on your shoulder. Yeah, that that's great. Have you ever had a sail come through where you're like, this was from a pirate ship? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know that I've heard that, but you know, with, there is a type of sail called tan bark. It's a, uh, it's like a dyed, uh, tan colored sail and the lore of tan bark and it's not often used um in in sail manufacturing today uh definitely not as common but um the lore is that the pirates they used to use tan bark sails so that um they wouldn't be seen on the horizon with the sunset Mm. it was the way that they were able to sneak about in in the ocean and not be you know spotted in the distance with a bright white sail 
Oh, that's cool. So if you see one of those come through, you'll know. You'll know yeah. where it came from. Yeah, exactly. And I, I do think we have some tan bark on the site right now. It's, it is definitely a little bit more rare, and we tend not to offer it all the time. But I think mm-hmm. we have a handful of tan bark designs right now. They're just so cool because they are really uncommon, um, yeah. and we, we don't always offer it. Yeah, that's cool. I'd also be given the side eye to whoever brought that in. Like, what'd you do to get this sale? Exactly. <laughs> 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 exactly. Exactly. I'd, I could be looking for their medallion and you see if they like, are you actually a pirate? Yeah, I know. Like, show me. <laughs> so obviously retail is on hold right now, but I saw you guys were expanding, expanding to actually one place that is close to my um, heart, Rehoboth Beach, yeah, um, yeah. Delaware. I love, we used to go there every single summer. I'm from Maryland and such a cute beach town. But how are you thinking about uh, utilizing brick and mortar stores and how, do, how are they lifting each other up and um, accelerating your e-commerce as well? Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a great question. So we have um, by the end of this year, we'll have 33 stores spanning 12 states. And um, that's really exciting for us because when I joined the company, we had two stores. Um, so that's a lot of growth. We, you know, we opened four to six stores a year. We're opening eight this year alone, which is really, wow. really exciting. Um, and, you know, one of the important things with meshing the retail business and the online business is the um, they're just a general omni-channel approach, right? Mm-hmm. Our CEO likes to say that the e-commerce site is our biggest retail store. It carries all the products um, for the brand and you can see them all there at any time. And you go to our stores and the stores may have most of those products, but some, um, some different selections that might be regionally appropriate. Like for example, you mentioned Rehoboth Beach. There might be some coastal nautical chart bags down in the Rehoboth mm-hmm. Beach store relevant to that regional area. So there's some things like that um, that we try to Crabs do. all over the Exactly. Bags and whatnot. <laughs> right. Yeah, to customize and be relevant to that local region. Um, but, you know, if you were to go to a store and they didn't have a product, you know, the great thing is, is that you can log on to the iPad at the store. You know, they can get the bag for you that you were looking for and ship for free. You know, so we're using an endless aisle concept that leverages uh, the flexibility that we have as a just-in-time manufacturer because we make you know, our bags on demand for customers. So it's, um, it's great to have that flexibility where we don't have you know, lead times to worry about. We're sourcing everything locally here in the United States. Um, most everything we source is within New England. And um, that's, that's really critical in terms of being able to take an order and turn it around in a matter of days. Yeah, that's huge. So with all this expansion that you guys are experiencing, how have you had to adjust your, you know, your technology, your platforms you're using? What does that process look like with such a large amount of change that you guys have been experiencing? Yeah, it's, um, it's great. I'm actually really excited about this. It's very timely. We uh, decided right, uh, right at the beginning of this year um, to move forward with replatforming our website. It's a huge endeavor. Um, you, you know, but we've realized that over the last six years, we've been on this very exciting ride of growth and expansion. And quite simply, we've outgrown the website platform that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, I do find it really rewarding to think that, you know, we have squeezed every ounce <laughs> that we could get out of the current platform we're on. There's yep. nothing that we have left unturned. But on, embarking on to this new platform, uh, we're working with Salesforce Commerce Cloud there's so many new opportunities for us to improve the customer experience and to refine our practices in terms of how we approach um, selling to customers and you know, using new technology like artificial intelligence and machine learning, um, personalization. Uh, I think that we're going to be, as a team, much more efficient and much more sophisticated in how we are able to speak to our customers and give them what they want. And, you know, it, it's going to take us a lot less time to, um, to manage that. And I'm really excited about being able to grow the business, utilizing those types of tools and, you know, specifically for the e-commerce website. But the great thing is, is that really does trickle into the other um, channels as well that we sell in, you know, retail, for example, too. That's very cool. So tell me a little bit more details around how you plan on um, using AI and ML, like, 
what is, when you think about using that with Commerce Cloud, what are your ideas around like how that's going to improve the consumer experience and what does that look like? Yeah, I, you know, I'm really excited because, um, so we have some personalization currently on the site that we do, um, not too much. It's, it's mostly, you know, personalized recommendations, but I am really looking forward to using that in terms of um, what one of the most exciting things for me is the merchandising of the site and making sure that, you know, when predictive sort of the categories when customer lands on a page with 150 different wristlets that the ones that are most relevant to them are actually rising to the top and mm -hmm. it's not based on a static presentation of what we think is the most important things to put at the top uh, so i think that's really important um, one of the things on our roadmap after the site is launched is to actually uh, take a look at um, the marketing opportunities in terms of email marketing and how we can pull some of the artificial intelligence into the journey map of the customer and how we message to the customer in their life cycle. So um, I think a lot of those components as well will be really exciting to start to create, a, you know, not just a, a series. I think that in the past people have created, you know, a welcome series or, you know, a trigger series after they buy, you know, X product. And I think instead what I want this to be is a more uh, dynamic opportunity to um, generate emails to customers that are, again, pulling in um, predictive uh, content so that customers, you know, have performed certain activities and then the, you know, machine learning decides, okay, great, because they did these five things, the most relevant thing to put here is this item and a message about this. And, and that's what I'm excited about. And then being able to look at that data, I think the data is so exciting too, and knowing what works and what's not working and being able to do slight tweaks and adjustments mm -hmm. to it will be really helpful. Yeah, I completely agree. I was just going to ask about, were there any metrics that you paid attention to in the past that you think it'll be way easier to get to, or uh, that you weren't able to access easily because it was too hard to maybe compile all the data and see it easily? What are some of those metrics, if so, that are now going to be accessible to you that'll yeah, yeah really I, help? I, I'm not sure if this is definitely going to make it easier, but what I'm really more excited about is seeing um, measure the measurements around customer lifetime value mm -hmm. and customer acquisition costs and starting to really understand the customer life cycle better mm -hmm. so that you know once we see customers logging onto the website and also we just launched a customer loyalty program so getting customers more engaged and in the habit of, you know, to get your reward points, logging in and making sure we're keeping track of what customers are doing and delivering them uh, relevant content as opposed to just sending them too many emails. I mean, I think I was telling you um, that, you know, I'm in the process right now of cleaning out my email and unsubscribing from everything possible. You know, yeah. I don't want people to have that experience with our brand saying that like, you guys just email me too much. You know, I want the content that we're sending them to be interesting. And the, the one thing I will tell you, and again, this goes back to how engaged our audience is, is that, you know, the open rates on our emails are really high. The click through rates are high. And we, um, there are customers like when we do um, these auctions periodically on the website, after the auction is complete, um, we usually take a look at who won the auction and we'll, we'll just see who the customer is. Well, what's their life cycle like? And mm -hmm. almost every time when we do this, you know, the customer's email open rate is like over 80%, wow. <laughs> you know, and they're, they're highly engaged people. And of yep. course, they're participating in an auction, you would assume that, but it is so interesting to see somebody opening that many emails from us is just, you know, that to me is a, a real testament to the strength of the brand and how engaged people are. Yeah, that means you're definitely doing something right for sure. So how are you assembling the team uh, for this, you know, digital transformation that you guys are about to undergo? How are you thinking about aligning your organization and your team members so everyone can help, you know, make this transition quick and easy? Yeah, that is, uh, that is critical. So what we did, um, and it's probably not so different 
than what a lot of other folks um, might do. But I assembled a, a core team, a project manager who's in charge of managing the project with our systems integrator. Um, and then I have a lead developer in-house and his job is really to get into the technical details behind the development and transition um, because he has been primarily you know, responsible for all of the development on our current website. You know, I'm on the team uh, more from a strategic guidance standpoint and decision making. And then our CEO has been really involved as well, which I really appreciate because, um, you know, it's this is the biggest project that our company has undertaken in the last six years um, mm -hmm. to do this type of major replatforming because it's, a, you know, a totally new platform. We've done some previous uh, site launches and relaunches, but this one's pretty huge. Um, and so then I still have, you know, a number of other people on my marketing team who will participate and we'll start pulling them in one by one. We're also doing um, embarking on a training curriculum that we're developing in-house for our team. And that's going to be going on while we're doing the development um, so that we're ready to go when the site's ready to launch. And we're also looking at peripheral technology that uh, is impacted by this transition. So an example I might give you is our uh, shipping platform and how we ship products. Um, that was impacted. We needed to make a decision to sh uh, shift to another provider. And we, you know, assembled another pilot team to get together, review the technology available and the vendor and, you know, got all our decision makers in one room and everybody agreed, said, yes, let's do it. And so we've been making these decisions quickly, kind of in that agile methodology of those sprints. Um, and part of that is a function of how the systems integrator has uh, outlined and uh, structured the project. So we have a very tight timeline too. We're looking to have the website launched by October 1st. We started it in mid-March. So it, we're definitely on an accelerated uh, schedule and uh, you know we don't want to miss any milestones, but you know, knock on wood, we are currently, you know, on target. So I'm excited about that. Oh, that's so fun. I can't wait to see the new site and try it out. Are there any digital commerce trends that you guys are preparing for as you're, you know, launching this new platform and kind of putting out a V2 of the brand? Are you preparing anything in the uh, e-commerce space that you think is coming down the pike that you're like, we better get ready for this or this trend? Um, no, I, I can't say that we're focused on anything like that right now. Um, we're, we're definitely mostly looking at the capabilities of the new platform. And like I said, um, the AI and machine learning component is so rich that we see that as foundational to changing how we approach, how we do um, our marketing strategies and uh, you know, communicate with customers. So I think that's really the biggest opportunity for us. Very cool. And one side thought I was just, uh, our side question I had was when you have your customers, I mean, they're tagging you in all these photos and they're flowing into your website. Are people able to buy from those photos right now? Yeah, on a limited basis right now. But when we launch the new site, it'll be actually uh, much more prolific. You'll be able to buy from almost all of them. So yeah, that's okay. great. And that is, I think that's really critical and it's important. Yep. Yeah, I know when I was looking at... Um, all the different photos that you guys were getting tagged in. I'm like, oh, I want this bag. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there was this one alignment. It was like a tan orangish bag, but it had a like a duffel bag and a bigger bag. And there's like three of them together. And I'm like, if I could just click in and get this yeah. set, yeah. that would be so much easier than, you know, going in, into the website and trying to find what this is called or, you know, how to figure out which one it was. Yeah. Well, you know, it's really interesting. Like, because the thing about user-generated content is that the customers put the product in context that we wouldn't necessarily be able to um, mm -hmm. in our marketing because it wouldn't make sense. And I'll give you an example was just this week, we received a review from a customer that was a picture of what they were calling a COVID survival pack that they were sending out to their friends. And uh -huh. it was it was a Seabags beverage bucket bag, which a beverage bucket is a... Um, kind of like a tall 14 inch high bucket that has handles. And in the interior, it has six pockets for six beers. And then in the very middle is like a cavity that you can put ice and it has a grommet in the bottom so that the ice can melt and escape out the bottom of the bag. So it's a collapsible cooler. Well, they hmm. were filling the buckets with six Corona beers 
And then they put a roll of toilet paper in the center and they were mailing these out to their friends as COVID survival packs. (laughs) And I mean, it just got such a laugh for us. And, you know, it, it also is great in terms of giving other customers ideas on ways to use our product in a way that is memorable and fun. And so, yeah, so there's a lot of that. But like I said, that that whole idea of content creation, while a lot of stuff can come from, from us and we can push it out, when it comes from our audience, it's even more relevant. Yeah, that's such a fun idea. I want one of those survival yeah. packs right now for someone who ever yeah. made that please send one my way I want limes as well um, but, yeah the limes yeah. would be great but I mean that's a good point too for larger brands I mean we work with a lot of larger brands developing you know podcasts for them and whatnot and when you have your customers where they can actually interact how they want I mean they don't have to go through you know the brand policy team and all these approvals and things like this where maybe like of it would never get past like the company's PR team. But when the customers are able to engage the way that they want to, it seems like it allows for more, you know, organic conversations to start and just things that maybe wouldn't normally get past the actual like internal policies, but makes it more fun, you know, to have those customers who can do that stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right, cool. So to shift a little bit, um, I saw your... Are you the founder of Women in Retail Leadership oh, Circle? Oh, no. Not <laughs> okay. the founder, but no. Tell me a bit you. about that. Very flattered. Um, no. <laughs> the Women in Retail Leadership Circle is a national organization um, that basically connects uh, senior leadership, senior women in leadership, uh, C-level and director level in retailing organizations. Um, they were uh, started about seven years ago, and they're backed by Napco Media. Mm-hmm. And I was a founding advisory board member on the, ah. on the team there. Okay. Um, so I've been involved over the last almost seven years. They've grown significantly in size over that time. Uh, it's one of the most energized and engaged leadership groups I've ever participated in. Um, they have an annual conference that I can say is nothing short of transformational. Um, it has been rescheduled this year for October. And uh, I'm hoping that I'll be traveling to be able to go to it. Um, but even so, during COVID, because the, you know, the conference is usually in April, um, they were very quick to figure out how they could be of service to their, you know, their audience. Um, they set up peer groups that leaders could participate in um, on a biweekly basis with opportunities to share advice and experience with other senior female leadership. Um, and during more normal times, you know, they do regular what they call on the road events where you can connect, you know, in a major city like Boston or New York um, over, you know, an evening of cocktails or something like that with, you know, leaders like Rebecca Minkoff, you know, talking about her leadership, you know, struggles, perhaps. So, um, you know. It's a great way to collaborate with other companies. You know, I've been able to uncover new tactics and strategies for growth. I, and I also use it as a tool to refine my leadership style because there's a lot of inspirational leadership that um, we share in those, um, like I said, events that they sponsor and you're doing a lot of stuff virtually right now. So, um, and the thing I like the most about it is that, you know, it's non-competitive. And it's just great personal development at the senior leadership level, which I think there doesn't happen to be a lot of that typically. Uh, A lot of the Mm -hmm. personal development that happens in organizations usually is more at a junior level. That's really cool. Is there anyone in the industry that you look to for, you know, not only leadership, but maybe, you know, um, different strategies or tactics that they're trying out or doing? Do you keep an eye on anyone to incorporate it at Seabags, like incorporate what they're doing? Yeah, I, you know, I look at a lot of brands, um, which is the reason why I need to pare down my email so much because I, <laughs> I do, I track a lot of folks and, you know, I also have a, a tactic of, um, I follow a lot of people in LinkedIn because mm-hmm. I feel like it's, um, you know, it's just a great opportunity to see what everyone's doing. But, you know, I, as a brand, we try to spend time um, benchmarking and uh, keeping our eye on brands again, that are very, very correlated with our DNA. So coastal lifestyle brands, you know, like very top cider and, um, you know, life is good, a very inspirational brand, right? So that we have a lot of partnerships like that. We, and we also try to keep an eye towards some more, um, 
local main brands too that we partner with and just benchmarking what they're doing. Um, and we also share a lot of information too. So like an example of that would be Stonewall Kitchen, which is a great um, a gourmet food brand. And they're also on Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And so, you know, while we were going through this whole replatforming project, you know, being able to reach out to people within our network and benchmark around um, what their experiences were on their website platforms and technologies that they were using was really important. Oh, that's great having that little network that you can tap into and be like, hey, how did you guys do this? Or hey, did this, you know, work better or this strategy? That's really fun. And all about, once again, tying it back to having that community that you can tap into to get answers from and learn from people who've already gone through that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm really, you know, I, over the years, that's one thing that I learned very early in my career. Um, some, some of my leaders, um, actually one that I'm still working with today, um, who is on our board at Seabags, you know, taught me how important that skill of networking was and that networking is a two-way street. It's really important to make sure that, you know, you're not only asking things of people and keeping in touch with them, but you're also being a value to them as well in terms of that networking relationship. Yep. Yeah. Such a great point. So the lightning round brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud is where I ask a question and you have one minute or less to answer. Are you ready? I guess so. (laughs) All right. What's up next on your reading list? Oh, on my reading list, um, I am reading, I'm about to start, I'm like one chapter in, um, a book by the founder of IDEO, um, and it, it he is, I think his name is Dave Kelly, if I remember correctly, and mm-hmm. it's um, a book all about innovation and idea generation and how to approach innovation a little bit differently, so really excited about that. I'm definitely one of those people who reads multiple books at once too. Yeah. So, yeah, me too. Yeah. I think they have a, or they did have a space here in Palo Alto right down the street from us because we were touring. Do they? Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And the name of the book is the art of innovation. So, okay. It's Tom Tom Kelly. I got his name wrong. Tom Kelly. Got it. All right. For everyone, Tom Kelly. That's really funny. We went and we were touring office spaces and we toured through their building and it was I mean, very forward thinking and innovative. I mean, just like, you know, what you're talking about. It was all about R&D and trying new things. And yeah, it was cool to see the inner workings of their space. (laughs) Very cool. What's up next on your Netflix or Hulu queue? Oh, I am watching Ozark and I I know I'm a little painfully behind, but yeah, I'm trying to make my way through into, I think, season three of Ozark. So I am really enjoying that. And it's a problem because I will sometimes stay up way too late trying to fit (laughs) in just one more episode. Yep. Yeah, that is me too. That's great. Yeah, I love that show. Uh, What's the next conference you're excited about attending? I am really excited about the Women in Retail Leadership Conference that, like I said, I hope is happening in October. Um, this is, as I mentioned, you know, it's a transformational opportunity for me to go talk with other senior female leaders about their challenges and opportunities and where they're seeing um, you know, growth within their companies. And um, I've walked away from this conference before getting lots of new ideas, uh, new business opportunities and uh, third-party partners to work with and collaboration opportunities. So that to me is um, what I'm most looking forward to. Um, And I hope that it still happens, especially because it's in Miami in October, which will be a really nice time of year to be there. Very cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Uh, What are you doing for fun these days? Any passions that you have? I am actually, after this podcast, going to jump on my boat with my husband and two kids for the first time this season. So um, that is actually our big passion. And, you know, this is the kickoff to boating season in Maine, Memorial Day weekend. And usually while I'm on the boat, the things that I do is knit. I've been knitting a a sweater for four years now that um, I am committed to finishing this year. So that's, that's my goal. You'll have to post a picture when it's done so we can all see it. I, I will. I hope I hope it actually fits. I'm, I'm kind of laughing at it going like, I don't even know if this is going to fit. I might end up having to give it as a gift. <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my mom got into sewing and knitting and all that. And she was trying to make us outfits 
just for fun, like, I don't know, sweaters and things like that. And she ended up making one that had to go towards our Shih Tzu dog because (laughs) (laughs) she's like, oh, this went really wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that that it can. It can go wrong quickly. That's what I'm worried about because I've I've ripped out a few rows of this a few times and I'm not sure I recounted correctly. So we'll see. I'll I'll post a picture regardless of what it looks like. Great. It's the journey. All right. So the next hard question, uh, you guys at Seabags are moving quick. You're having to transition platforms. Uh, It's your job to stay ahead of, you know, the expectations and your competition and all that. What do you think is up next for e-commerce pros? Up next for e-commerce pros, I think that, um, you know, I think that what we really are going to have to focus on is how to take omni-channel retailing to the next level. I think that that term omni-channel is really broadly thrown around. And I think that people don't really understand what it is. And I think that we need to be able to deliver a seamless customer experience, regardless of where they're shopping um, and figure out also how to do it without inconveniencing customers with asking for their information, you know, repeatedly. And I think that that's one of the challenges in retail is being able to know when somebody places an order at one of your retail stores and being able to um, translate that into their customer profile so that you have, again, that really full 360 degree picture of that journey of that customer and really knowing what their full lifetime value is. Again, so that you can come back and customize and personalize their shopping experience and make it more rich. And, you know, they feel valued because they know that you're speaking to them in a way that is informed and, you know, caring about, you know, what value they play for your brand. Cool. Yeah, that's a great answer. Well, Laura, it's been a blast. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. And for all our listeners, go check out Seabags and don't forget to subscribe, rate and review this podcast that helps spread the word and spread stories like the one Laura shared today. Laura, thanks. And I hope to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. It was an absolute joy. It really was. See ya. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.